0: Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett, and this is science for people who give a shit. There's a lot going on out there. Our world is changing and being changed every single day. And you can take part in that change. I talk to the smartest, most impactful people on the planet to provide you with the inspiration and tools you need to feel better and to fight for a better future for everyone. Our guests are scientists and doctors, farmers and policymakers and senators, activists, astronauts, nurses, journalists, we even had a reverend. If you want to be inspired to find out how to make radical change, hit the subscribe button right now to get even more conversations, stories, and tools to come. You can also scroll through the feed or you can go to podcast.importantnotimportant.com to find 120 plus evergreen episodes covering everything from clean energy to cancer and artificial intelligence to regenerative agriculture. In this week's conversation, I talk to the all-volunteer media magnets behind the climate tech ecosystem, why they do what they do, how they do everything they do, and what you can learn from their journeys, but also their work. My guests are Kim Zoe and Sophie Perdom of Climate Tech VC, and I mean, I could not learn and be inspired and intimidated by the amount and quality and value of the work that these women put out every single week. And so I'm so excited to share this conversation with you today. A reminder, you can always send questions and feedback or guest recommendations to me on Twitter at importantnotimp or email me at questions at importantnotimportant.com. For avocado green brands, sustainability comes first. They craft their GOTS-certified organic mattresses, pillows, and bedding with natural materials sourced from their organic farms in India in their own clean energy-powered facility in Los Angeles, where their team shares a singular purpose, to raise the bar for what it means to be a sustainable business. Avocado is climate-neutral certified for net-zero emissions and donates 1% of all revenue to environmental nonprofits through its membership with 1% for the Planet. Find out what it means to sleep organic at avocadomattress.com. My guests today are Sophie Purdom and Kim Zo, and together we are going to explore another side of this Climate tech revolution, as it is, and that's sort of the media ecosystem surrounding it. Sophie and Kim, welcome.
1: Thanks for having, Thanks for having us. For having us. for sure. kissing each other right out Uh-oh. of the gate.
0: I know that's right. Sophie, we also have a rabbit with us. Correct. What is the rabbit's name?
1: We do. We have Toffee, the house rabbit, tuning in okay. from Woos, Poland.
0: Perfect, Toffee, the Polish house rabbit. Uh, we will get uh, Toffee, boy, girl. Do we know?
1: unclear we can ask toffee later
0: He they yeah,
1: come over this way
0: yeah 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 we'll, we'll sort it out and see how, how they feel about the uh, about the climate ecosystem uh, rock and roll sophie and kim could you tell the people real quick um, and that's kind of what we're getting into today who you are and what it is you do briefly before we really start exploring
2: sure happy to kick off so i'm kim i'm my day job, uh, Daylight, as an investor at Energy Impact Partners, which is a $2 billion AUM venture capital firm investing in climate tech. We're backed by a coalition of more than 35 strategics, a lot of which are in the energy, transportation, industrial space. So do the day job of climate tech investing. And then also another day job and night job, I'd say, is uh, writing Climate Tech VC with Sophie. And I think CTVC has been around for two years now. We cover, based off two newsletters every week, we cover the deals, news, what you need to know every single week, as well as how how to think about it. So we talk to the founders, the investors, experts that are in this space. We put our our own proprietary content as well around different market deep dives, like carbon removal or sustainable seafood. So a lot of content we put out, out there, and we're really now becoming the leading source on climate and innovation.
0: Rock and roll. Yeah. It's, it's very upsetting how much content you put out. It's, uh, I, I genuinely am just, it's like, ah, how, how do they have time? That's what we're going to get into. Awesome. Sophie, anything you want to add to that before we get rolling?
1: Kim got it. I guess. Hey, I'm Sophie. I'm Moonlight doing some other bits and pieces too. Everyone has multiple jobs these days, particularly in pandemic times. But my job, if you call it that, is also investing in early stage climate technology businesses, which handily is what we also gab about on the newsletter. And I've been doing that with a series of existing funds, and I'm excited to be setting up my own structure. So happy to share more about that another time once I'm locked and loaded with the SEC filing.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not we're not trying to break... Well, m- maybe some rules, not those ones today. We got enough going on. Perfect. So... Sophie Kim, we do uh, usually start these shenanigans with one question for the people. I encourage you to be bold and honest, but also realize it's a little preposterous, which is kind of the tone of this entire thing. So if you could each answer, why are you vital to the survival of the species?
1: I mean, I don't know if I am, right? And I think that's the greatest fear. You know, when kids are asked, what's your greatest fear? Most people used to say, like... Sharks or spiders or heights or something. And oh, terrifying. A, uh, absolutely. And as a first grader, I had my British accent back then much stronger too, right? So everything I said sounded smarter than it actually was. And I was like, <laughs> I'm afraid of, like, obsolescence. Or <laughs> <so> <laughs> And my teacher was like, could you draw a picture of that? And it was like a black hole. <laughs> so we were off to the races strong there. So anyway, that's my actual answer. I don't think we do matter, but... You could say, uh, like, maybe it doesn't matter, but we can try. The way that we're trying is through some combination of putting our words into practice, but also recognizing that content and deep thought and our whole premise of what do you need to know? And then how should you think about it in climate and in early stage technology? I would like to believe that innovation is going to change the world for the better, so count us in for spreading the good word and telling the truth and hopefully inspiring some folks along the way. Hopefully that matters.
2: (laughs) Call it a green
1: hole.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Kim, what do you got?
2: I love that. Thanks Sophie for giving me the extra five minutes to think of a Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. terrible answer. (laughs) Um, But no, I'm in the same boat. I think thinking that oneself is vital to the survival of their species is a very bold claim to make. But I will say like, I've been thinking about climate change for most of my life before, you know, now everyone's talking about it in the New York Times or whatever. But it's just this almost unsolvable problem. Not one person can fix it. All you can kind of do is try to work on it both in your, you know, career, in your daily life. And I think that was my goal is to be able to work on the climate crisis, not only, you know, donating to a charity, but to do it every day and be, have it be part of my everyday life. And now it is both at EIP as well as, you know, through Climate Tech BC, which is really exciting. And the mission of what we're doing isn't to, you know, say everyone should be, you know, everyone should be a climate tech founder, everyone should be a climate tech investor, but it's to kind of facilitate these conversations and to show the positive side of, not the positive side of climate change, but like the positive solutions to climate change. Everyone talks about the science, we all talk about how we're basically screwed, we're not going to get to 1.5 degrees, we can just hope for the best. But then, what I'm happy about now is like hopefully Sophie and I are trying to move the conversation past we're screwed to what can we do about it, what are the solutions out there, how do we actually like capitalize and accelerate these solutions out of time frame that no one's ever seen before. Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft had a quote the other day that was like climate tech is basically the same, uh, it's like the same extent of putting a man, man on the moon type of mission and it's like there are steps to get there. And the way that we've done it so far over the last decade has been too slow. How do we accelerate this? It's by bringing the founders, the investors, the you know policymakers, all these voices together, and we're trying to kind of highlight that and also facilitate an ecosystem where they can start conversing and, and make those connections. So that's hopefully how Sophie and I are, are ensuring the species our species survival or, or whatever. But I think just trying to actively uh, make make the ecosystem move a little faster.
0: I love it. That's great. Those are uh, awesome. Uh, and obviously your work is, um, you know, m- much appreciated. It, you know, you're you're here for a reason and, and literally on the show for a reason, you know. Um, so here's why I wanted to, besides just my admiration for you both uh, and your work, why I wanted to have this conversation, why I, th- I think folks are going to take a lot away from it, whether they're familiar with it or not, because uh, you guys know, My prism isn't just climate as much as climate touches everything, and we saw that with COVID and stuff like that. It is public health, and it's cancer and agriculture and food and water. Again, climate touches all of them, but they are also, and have been for a long time, had their own issues, but also opportunities. But in this case, we're seeing such an acceleration of private and now public money in some places flowing hand over fist into this huge range of climate tech projects there's hard tech stuff like building or like block power is doing and hvac retrofits and battery tech and satellites to track deforestation like all this stuff. And the crisis is is here again. We're not going to get into that too much today. People get it. It's breathing down our necks. But when, you know, one of the one of the best ways to slow it is to retrofit every existing building on the planet to build a huge number of new units with green concrete and, and green steel, and when we have to replace every car on Earth and the infrastructures that support them and manage a transition around all of those. Ignore, like, the power sector infrastructure, right, that needs to be replaced and built. There are estimates that put those costs alone, at like, I think it's like $56 trillion in incremental spending before, you know, 2030, something like that. And so we've seen... I think this year, and and no one better to correct me, and please spend this entire podcast correcting me as you need to. But something I think there's been like thirty two billion uh, in climate VC money this year, or something like that. It's like five thousand startups. Uh, it, it's close. The point is, this crisis is arguably our biggest challenge of like the past two hundred thousand years, but it's also the biggest market opportunity, probably. Ever right? We're designing this entirely new thing, all these new systems, and and you two have become like Kim. You were saying two years, which I mean, time has like no meaning anymore. But the voice of this community, besides participating in self, you guys are are sort of the the megaphone for it and helping people not only know what's going on, but like you said, how to think about it. And I've loved learning from you along the way. So you're both investors yourselves, and I've dabbled some. Probably should be doing more. But with this huge new marketplace and the reinvention of this. I mean, when you think about it, like all of our geopolitics and economic systems and societies of the past hundred years have basically been based on crushed up dinosaur bones, right? So you started the Climate Tech VC newsletter to report on and explain everything that's going on, but you're already doing all this other work. What made you go each, I have to do this and and we have to do this? What, what did you feel like there was a hole that was missing? And how did you get over that hump of, I guess I'll do this extra work to to enlighten everyone how did how did this come to be
2: yeah I can I can kind of I can kick off with that so this goes back two years at the time I wasn't in climate tech I was more I was in investment banking so doing your typical you know banking models and nothing related to climate only on the kind of finance side um, focused on tech companies. And for so long in my life, I, I had actually gone into university wanting to figure out how to work on the climate crisis, whether it was on the engineering side or on the policy side or on the business side, ended up falling through more of a business track, was part of a student-run venture firm at Hopkins, which is the university I went to, also uh, started like a sustainability hackathon as well called Green Hack. So always really loved this intersection of how do we address the climate crisis with innovation and did you know your typical banking experience just to kind of develop some develop those skills but then when i was there i was thinking about how do i refocus back on climate and the idea occurred to me that the best way to do that is actually to write a newsletter about it and to you know share that information with everyone especially cuz as you know it's so easy these days to start podcasts and start newsletters but I think the angle is like, how do you make it differentiated? How do you make it additive to the existing conversation? And it seemed like there had already been a lot of podcasts, newsletters, media about climate change itself, the science sure. of it, the policy of it. But there hadn't been anything about the innovation behind it or the solutions behind it. And if you look at the venture world and the tech world, there's all of these newsletters about VCs. There's all these newsletters about you know, crypto and uh, biotech and like, all these different verticals, but none focused on climate. And so fortunately, or coincidentally, I think Sophie and I actually started Climate Tech VC before the whole phrase climate tech blew up or the whole world and hype kind of happened. Mm -hmm. But I think we saw the writing on the wall, which is the climate crisis is happening. It's closer than anyone expected. And people are now starting to think about solutions and buckets of areas of innovation. And there needs to be coverage of that rather than just coverage on the kind of doomsday -er sort of stuff. So that's, that's kind of how Climate Tech VC started and then Sophie can take over in terms of how it really began.
0: Yeah. And I want to know how you two found each other to, to get that going as well.
2: (laughs) It's a good story.
1: Share a bit. uh, Well, one man, one man put us in touch. Carrie Krosinski shout out, shout out to Carrie, the connector. And uh, I'll backpedal quickly on my story of how Carrie loops in um, and then we'll tie it together. So, you know, I feel like in lots of ways, this, Newsletter has like always meant to be for me, and that it's combined all of the pieces I've been working on across my entire career in one place. So to make that sound less grand, like have climate's always been first for me. That um, you know studied it uh, as a theme throughout everything I've ever kind of like academically been interested in, and helped set up an institute at Brown University to bring in a whole bunch of interdisciplinary professors to push forward conversations and research in this space and worked at the investment office on setting up an ESG, so Environmental Social Governance, as I'm sure your listeners are familiar with, fund, which was first of a kind at a university of its size. And along the way there, intersected with a highly prolific author and teacher who wasn't at Brown yet, though. He was teaching at Yale, and his name is Carrie Krasinski. And so I wrote curriculum for a course on sustainable investing that I thought was missing from the Brown undergrad uh, educational like opportunity set. And it was approved. I was a student, so I wasn't supposed to teach it. So I helped Carrie come enter the Brown ecosystem. We taught it together. We became best friends and we kind of done a whole bunch of stuff hand in hand ever since, including writing a book on sustainable investing and um, working with a whole bunch of institutional asset owners. So my path into into climate really came from the ESG side. I took a stint through management consulting. I'm sure, you've heard that story before. Left that to go start a climate tech business, but we didn't call it that at the time, right? We called it an agricultural technology business. It just mm. happened to also sequester carbon. That business mm. is called Kula Bio. And we make uh, the simplest way to describe it is that we make a fertilizer, an ammonia fertilizer, but we do it using biology and microbes instead of pretty complex and energy-intensive chemistry with a whole bunch of fossil fuel inputs and, and greenhouse gas emissions through the Haber-Bosch process. So I was setting up Kula, rubbed shoulders for the first time with these venture capitalist folks that I had never really engaged with much and learned a bunch of um, lessons along the way about how to sell you know part of your company and partner with these folks. And through that process, want wanted to spend more time supporting other companies that were in the climate space to accelerate their growth through venture capital and started working with a host of venture funds on that and gradually shifted more of my time over over to that side and uh, uh, missed what Carrie had taught me about using writing and using teaching to really spread the message. And Carrie put Kim and I in touch and she had set set up the blog. And I think, Kim, was it that you were you had some conflict of interest or something with your banking folks and needed needed to put a different name on it or whatnot, and that was the hook line and sinker that got us working together. And then um and then the pandemic hit and it was pretty easy, frankly, to pick up the phone and talk to anybody at the beginning of the pandemic, right? Because in person sure. meetings were canceled, so all of a sudden you could holler at anybody across the world, and they didn't necessarily care where you were sitting or how old you were or like exactly what your background was or, or who had put you in touch. And that helped us accelerate the first maybe 10 or so like interviews that we did. And everybody was thinking about climate in a pretty intimate way that they might not have before the pandemic of what's the air that I'm breathing like and going into my body, you know, what's the food in my refrigerator, uh, like, and where does that come from? How do I want Mm -hmm. to spend my time? What's my physical environment? Like, wow, nature, gee whiz, nature is pretty nice. Right. Like, and, I'm being I'm being silly there, but climate really picked up steam at the beginning of the pandemic and those confluence of things accelerated the growth of, of our newsletter. And I also like to think that Kim and I are pretty good at doing good content, but also setting up nice structures to accelerate the products behind the scenes as well. So there's a, it's not just us, there's a whole quality team entirely. We're all volunteer based, right? That are all in this for the same mission of wanting to push the, Narrative of climate tech forward, and that opening doors for us personally. Of course, as we're leveling up ourselves and leveling up the field in conjunction.
0: I love it. I mean, I I love the way you each came to this and and found each other through through uh, through necessity. It it seems like Kim. Uh, so you didn't break the law, which seems to be coming to becoming a theme here. That's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, so talk to me about because I mean every. <laughs> Every time I get something from you guys, all I think is they put so much work into this. I mean, like you said, there's so many newsletters out there. I've got one of them. I I mean, I'm sure like you guys, I receive so many of them. And there's some incredible essayists out there and some creative stuff in a tutorial. And there's incredible, for instance, Amy Westervelt, who on the investigative journalism side, right? I mean, the work she puts in—it's very upsetting. It's clearly, she has like a time turner, you know? It's preposterous, but not everybody puts in that much work like like she does, or 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 like you guys do. I mean, they're so they're so dense, but readable and useful and valuable to folks. What do you feel like you talked about? You've got a a team of all volunteers. that are just trying to to move the needle. What what is still missing from what you guys work on? So. Let's tell people, you said it comes out twice a week, tell people sort of what that is, what that structure is, and sort of how it operates behind the scenes. And again, sort of what, what, maybe not what's next, but what do you feel is missing because of the structure of the way this thing is set up?
2: Yeah, that's a a good question. Um, And definitely something we think about all the time is where are gaps and how do we want to keep improving So where we are right now and where we've expanded to over the last two years we have our Monday issue, which we think of as more of the weekly update. What do you need to know? And that consists of, we usually write about a news headline. What was the biggest thing that happened last week? And then what are kind of the key takeaways, especially thinking about it again from that climate innovation hat? What are the key takeaways for either innovators or investors in this space as I think about building solutions? And then we have our deals of the week, which I can say from an investor perspective, I think people definitely love as a way to just aggregate all of the really interesting climate solutions that have happened in real time. So we talk about the deal. We actually do a lot of the back um, you know, insights and tracking. So we have like a really cool database of all this info we can leverage that we've been doing for over the last you know, two years.
0: It's invaluable, by the way, to anybody out there. It's truly what you what you've put. Together. I mean, again, the weekly updates are great, but it, it seems intuitive to have said, "Well, why don't we just put this all there?" or the vice versa. But but for it to be public facing and usable by everyone is is truly again one of those things that's going to help move the needle. So continue.
2: Yeah, so we, so we do the deals, and that that's a really big value add that we provide, along with um, basically a similar thing, but on the news side. So all of the main headlines that you should know about. For me, it's really useful. So instead of having to read every single newsletter, it's almost like an aggregator of all of that um, in like a very synthesized form. And then on top of that, we do events, opportunities. We launched a job board on Palette. If you're a candidate looking for a job or a company that's looking to post a job, you should definitely check it out. It's a great platform to kind of see who all the best climate companies are and what kind of roles they're hiring for. And so that's been, I think, particularly useful for people who are trying to work on climate and transitioning over. So that's kind of the Monday issue. And then our Friday issue is where we generate our own proprietary content. So Monday is where we you know, synthesize all of the things that we've seen on the deals and the views side. Friday is where we generate our own proprietary content, whether that's through interviews with founders and investors. We've interviewed people like the founders of Soligen, which we're really excited about this last Friday... or this morning, actually, we put out an interview with Dan from Regen Ventures because he just launched his first fund. And it's all focused on what is you know regenerative investing? What does that entail? So if you're interested, yeah. you should check it out. That's one facet of it. On uh, some other Fridays, we also publish what we call like market overviews or features, or even... I think we're calling it insights now. So that breaks down into... Sometimes we write a market overview on a specific space that Sophie and I are really excited to dig into. So we've done A lot actually on the carbon tech side, whether it's how do you remove carbon from the air, carbon to value, how do you convert CO2 into a useful material. We did one on sustainable seafood, heating and cooling, a bunch of really interesting insights that you can kind of break down now to the primary buckets of climate tech, like energy, transportation, industrials, and um, thinking through the pockets of innovation. And we do these really cool market maps as well, trying to track all of the different startups that are working on these solutions. And then recently we launched a new type of feature that is more around guides. So realizing that most of our audience are either investors or founders, I think those are kind of the two voices we speak primarily to. On the founder side, so much of what we've heard is, you know, like the only capital we can access is venture capital. And there's a lot of pros to venture capital, but there's also a lot of cons. It's very expensive. You have to give up ownership. You can't really only finance your company with venture if you're you know, building a factory or building multiple factories because it gets too expensive. And so this is a problem we've been thinking a lot about just as investors on a day-to-day basis. And we wanted to create a comprehensive guide for founders. And what is the full climate capital stack look like? What are all of the financing options that are out there from, you know, it being an idea, pre-seed stage, all the way to exit your IPOing or your uh, getting acquired. So what are all of the different like financing options that are available on the venture side, on the debt side, project finance, grants, all of these things. And as Sophie and I were writing this, we realized there's so much more here that we want to dig into. For example, on the government funding side, there's a whole world there that, you know, there's a ton of capital, but just no one knows how to access it. So these are very tangible things where it's not just mm-hmm. covering the news, but it feels like we can kind of unearth a lot of the, you know, a lot of these pockets of capital or innovation that people haven't really been paying attention paying attention to just yet, and now we have the platform to do it too. So that's that was a mouthful, but I think that's that's kind of what we are where we are today. Um, I don't know if I missed anything, Sophie. Great overview. I'll just say,
1: you know, that's that's the current state. We've been doing it for two years, so we haven't been doing it exactly that way all along. We've evolved, um, and the way that we've landed on this. Um, product assortment is by being data obsessed and paying a ton of attention to feedback um, and interviewing and listening to our customers who are our readers. Um, so we know them intimately. We talk with them constantly. We have an extremely active open like set of feedback channels across uh, a bunch of different platforms. We are obsessed with clicking into the backend data of who engaged with what, where, when did they mm-hmm. engage with it? Like, how does our title affect open rate? What kind of different readers read different pieces? Like what happens if we stack different types of content to build on each other rather than kind of sprinkle it across, et cetera, et cetera. Where, where we're going is we've been obsessed with quality content consistently mm-hmm. as a way to build trust with and grow our audience to a pretty significant base. I think we can safely say we've like done that. Like we're, we're confident with that now where we're going is helping folks reference older content as a resource because some of it is quite evergreen, not the Monday issue that, you know, news based, but the, you know, Friday content, is and folks are engaging with us and going back and asking if we've ever written something about xyz topic and so we're reorganizing that packaging it with the data insights that are extremely proprietary and have really high click-through rates and our jobs board and starting to talk about this suite of offerings more as a platform or a package rather than quote just a newsletter but Mm -hmm. emphasis 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 two years of writing this content twice a week, right. To get to that stage where now we're thinking about like uh, repackaging it. And I think we've seen so many folks come out guns blazing with, you know, their thoughts on a perfect newsletter. And you can't keep that. They can't keep that up. Like Kim and I have sacrificed and the team has sacrificed a lot to put out these issues. Um, I can't remember what number we're at, but close to, you know, more than 200 pieces of content, all of which we hang our hats on, and. You know, whatever, sacrifice other things that we could be doing to put out there and only now have we really like earn the right to kind of expand out with that deep reader trust. So it takes a while. It takes a while, but in, and learn along the way. But content's no joke.
0: Hey, it's Quinn. I'll make this quick. Sifting through the news is a slog. Finding the signal and the noise it's damn near impossible. And if you do What can you even do about it? I'll tell you what you can do. Literally, every week, I'll tell you the most impactful thing you can do. In just 10 minutes a week, you can get smarter, feel better, and make radical change. For yourself, your family, your investments, your company, and for the world. Join tens of thousands of other leaders and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at newsletter.importantnotimportant.com get the most vital science news, exclusive analysis and action steps for free. That's newsletter.importantnotimportant.com or just click the link right in your show notes. Back to the show. Content, I mean that might be the title of this uh, of this podcast when we put it out is con- content's no joke. Content done well. Is no joke. I mean, and it's clear. Besides, again, if you're just someone who runs across a single issue, whether it's Monday or 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 later in the week, or one of the tools. I mean, Kim, uh, as you were alluding to your exploration of, and then the service you provided with uh, publishing the, the the capital guide essentially was that last week. I don't. I can't keep track of anything anymore. But I mean, just h- how many people instantly? responded i mean i watched it happen live going like holy shit this is so useful and i can't imagine anyone else who again because this thing is growing so fast and and obviously there were some false starts in the past 10 years but it's growing so fast for real this time out of necessity out of opportunity out of innovation but you've spent two years there was no one else in a better place to have done something like that much less to do what you what you guys are doing week to week so
1: Eh, I'll jump in there real quick. I think actually, I don't actually think we were the best position. Like, granted, we like Kim hung up a shingle that said climate tech VC, and that was basically it. And we, it's not like you know we came into this with funding or a platform or whatever. I think it's like again the trust and the ownership and the and the like consistency piece, and then not getting distracted along the way. There's been a lot of folks that have come in, and I think it's great, right? Like there should be lots of new starts in the space, but but sometimes just sticking to the core like helps you helps you get there. And we've seen not just folks that are writing onesie twosie newsletters by themselves solo from anywhere on the world on platforms like Substack, but we've seen the upsurgence in entirely new platforms over the two years that we've been doing this from yeah. new rolling funds, right? Which are basically yeah. a form of content in themselves, to sure. a ton of different podcasts, to the acquisition of, to the closure of, to you know, canary media's new as of
0: yeah. They didn't exist like six months ago. I
1: mean, even, even you know, uh, Kim's close colleague, like uh, Shale and the Interchange, like that's an institution and that's shifting over, you know, leads now and, and, and voices go on to different platforms. And it's always, it's constantly changing. So I guess just sensitivity to we weren't endowed with this. Um, I think it's, no. like, uh, and it will keep changing. Our platform will keep changing, but it's that like obsession with the customer.
0: But to make it, to make it meta, though, you know, having some experience on the investing side, it's nowhere near my my day job like it is yours. I mean, and and though like myself, you have four day jobs. To make it meta, what you did, uh, as let's let's say I'm approaching you as an investor, you you took your both of your individual your varied backgrounds and perspectives and your lived experiences. And combined those, again, out of necessity, because Kim was going to go to jail if she published X or Y. And you saw a hole in the market. And then in a market that, again, could be among the biggest of all time, measurable, you've got two founders who are not only know it well and have worked in in a variety of capacities, and outside of it in an indirect way, but you are obsessed with the data and you are practical and proactive about how you use that data. I mean, I, Kim, I liked the moment where you were like, "Is that what we're calling that section now?" Because you're constantly tinkering with it, and you know you don't want to always do that because then your readers like, "Where's where's the things I'm I'm used to I'm used to f- like finding?" But that's where the data can help you because if people aren't clicking on it, or only certain segments of people are clicking on it, or they only do it once a month, maybe it's too often, whatever it might be. Those are the things that make this not only popular, but make the engagement something that people come back to over and over again. It's not just like they clicked on one guide and found that useful. So it's a recurring engagement, but also valuable to people. But also, again, if you're being met about and looking investor, those are two the the biggest market of all time. You were smart enough and, and thoughtful enough to have seen a hole and you're so dedicated to it. Those are like, as you know, when you're looking, should I invest in this company? You're checking a lot of boxes for something that goes like, this makes... A lot of sense. Like, this is something I would want to get behind. So here's my question to you. How sustainable, to steal a word, is this endeavor from a volunteer standpoint? Because you said you've got this whole crew. And like, Kim, you said at the very beginning, it's your day job and your night job. And I fully get that. I fully get that. How sustainable is this? And, and if, if there's discussions or, or thoughts or ideas you don't want to share, that's totally fine. You know, just sort of generally thinking about it thinking about all of those things and where this thing's going, because the train's not slowing down anytime soon. What you do doesn't become less valuable over time. You're part of the institution now, so.
2: <laughs> We're part of the institution, Sophie.
0: For, be- for better or worse.
2: <laughs> no, definitely. I mean, yeah, what, what I'll add to the points before too is, Sophie and I didn't come into this knowing what Climate Tech BC was going to become. I think we knew what we wanted to create, and we knew what got us excited, and... Fortunately, I think that's what has gotten our readers excited too. So, whenever we think about creating content, we both, Sophie and I, have to get excited about it first. Like, this is something we would want to be. This, like, for example, the climate capital stuff piece we just put out. Sophie and I have been thinking and toying with that idea for the last two months because yeah. everyone around us has been talking about what are other financing solutions out there. And we wanted to just get all of our thoughts on the paper and, you know, really do that, do that guide justice. So, a lot of our high quality content stems from the question of like, would we want to read this? Would we get excited about this? And I think that's how we've been able to put out content that other people are also excited about. In terms of sustainability, I think it's, you know, it's been two years now. I It's still, it's like crazy to me that it's been two years because to some extent, it feels like we almost just, we just started this thing and we still have so far to go with it. And it is also sunday nights when we're pressing publish for monday morning and then i also have you know every uh, our weekly investment committee meeting at 8 a.m it definitely sucks sometimes where (laughs) sophie and i are you know both on the on flights on at the same time and we have to coordinate who's hitting publish or who's going to take the final edits i think it's that's why it's been so nice to have a full team behind us um again on a voluntary basis but everyone's really behind the mission of Climate Tech VC. We haven't monetized, we haven't put anything behind a paywall. And I think that's kind of really core to what we're doing at CTVC is this is literally just facilitating and accelerating um, solutions to the climate crisis. So that's why we don't really want to, you know, uh, cannibalize any of that. On the how to make the sustainable front, I think Sophie and I have done a really good job of Finding areas of the newsletter that we can automate. So at this point, the Monday newsletter, these updates, like we've got that down to a T. You know, we can kind of, it's almost like writing a startup, right? Like you want to always be improving on your operational efficiency, your cash burner, you know, whatever you want to call it. That's what we're continuing to do at CTVC, except instead of cash, it's time. Time is our currency here. And so it's always improving that time efficiency metric, bringing in people where it's helpful for some of these. Harder for some of these like larger lifts, like the capital stack piece we just put out. It's really leveraging our own networks and r- having an excuse to reach out to experts who know this space really well, jumping on the phone with them and attributing them. Obviously, we're, we're uh, relevant, but for the most part, it's bringing together all of these voices and these experts and then drafting it up into a piece, synthesizing it, and sharing it to the world. And I think that's what we've done really well. It's not like, oh, this information is just in our heads. Part of it is, but a lot of it is just connecting to the right people who are experts in this space and finding a platform in which we can share all of that with everyone. And within all that, trying to make it as efficient as possible. It becomes self-reinforcing in lots of ways,
1: right? Like if it's high quality, higher quality folks read it, therefore, and, and they have higher NPS, therefore... They're excited and willing to hop into a doc when you've only got five hours before you've got to publish the thing. And they're game to put their comments in directly. You can start calling those favors and building it collaboratively. It's another reason why we didn't maybe sell. It's too aggressive of a word, but we've had opportunities to, you know, merge or Change or uh, absolutely, like certainly, have have folks start paying for it or put things behind paywalls. And we've said over and over and over again, including to some pretty attractive potential buyers, right? Like, nope, not now. And uh, I'm proud of us for doing that because I think that you don't know early what the future potential opportunities from a um, you know monetization or an acquisition or a partnership or who knows what potential is until you've really broken out and you have some, some like serious velocity. And uh, so I'm proud of us for not actually hindering our growth by trying to turn on monetization because at the end of the day it's a big question of well, what does money in the bank actually allow you to do better? And it wasn't clear that money in the bank or a partnership would allow us to do higher quality or more consistent content. And those were our two variables that we were going after. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, it's cool to reflect back on.
0: I, I mean, I love it. I, I I, imagine, and maybe not because you seem to be all powerful, but uh, at least for me, there are times where I go, I, I mean, I know objectively, what we do is worth it, but there's times where you go, uh, it's 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 a lot, either emotionally or or just the work or logistically or this or like you said, you got a deadline in five hours and you're going like, I got it. Somebody's got to read this. <laughs> like I got you know, it's it can be a lot. But I imagine also, and again, please correct me if I'm wrong. Again, we there's this phrase in in the tech world. I'm sure you're both familiar with dog fooding, and you can tell basically when. When, uh, for instance, a um, you know an app developer or something, whether they're using their own app, right? There was always this uh, thought for about 10 years that no one inside Apple was actually using their software because it was just so obnoxious to use, but they felt like they had to do it anyways. How much has CTVC actually informed your own work? Especially, I mean, you know, again, not just philosophically, but... How much is it actually an asset to the work that you're doing as, Kim, you're actively doing this, and Sophie, you're trying to build your own thing as if you guys don't have enough going on?
1: Of course. This is, I mean, this is how it, quote, pays out, right? <sighs> right, um, right, It is the thesis. This is us learning in public about what we then go into practice with, like, capital um, elsewhere. There's, uh, so to be very clear. There is a serious, like, you know, whatever you want to call it, Chinese firewall or something between the journalism component and the investing component. And feedback is very welcome about how we can continue to do that better. Please hit us with feedback there. But we asterisk the crap out of anything where we have a conflict of interest and and put on different hats and use different accounts when we're doing investing versus doing anything that looks like journalism. But of course, that's how it pays out. This is us learning in public and Sharing our theses that we then independently, you know, Kim and I are different people and we're deploying different types of capital with different theses, but this is us sharing our learning in public that we then run with and hopefully profit off of and build awesome businesses with. So they're inextricably linked. And when we first started out with the newsletter, there were not many examples of folks doing that connection between content and investing in particular. Now it's a different ball game. There's tons of examples right from I don't know obvious ones being like lenny with uh, uh all of his offerings and Packy with mm. God knows how that guy keeps everything together with like and and Jason Jacobs with the climate uh my climate journey rolling fund, which is not rolling. it's like whatever's ten times faster than rolling. I'm not sure
0: <laughs> it's obscene he the other day he he put out a tweet about about uh, you know they're they're He's investing in like 10 to 12 things a quarter and uh, you know it's just like but uh, what what who's time for that <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> yeah totally but I was but just like if we if we step back out right this concept of content and capital deployment being in partnership and individuals, whether you call them solo capitalists or whatnot having a legitimate value add to companies that they invest in because of their platform mm-hmm. when wielded carefully. And getting differentiated access to it and also having some public service, I think, is a particularly novel potential hat that you can wear in this extreme bull market.
0: For sure. You know, there's. I, I thought of, I was thinking about it today, and, and these are two people, one of whom does sort of a version of this and the other one does not, but they're, they're definitely inextricably linked to each other, not the two people, but their two jobs. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Food Tech Connect. They've actually, this woman, Danielle Gould, has been running it since 2009. And it's it's effectively l- even less analysis from your Monday version and more, you know, a curated version of this is everything that's happening in the food tech world. But her day job is still uh, investing. And it's very easy to see how over time, again, that's an area that's growing so much, uh, like you were talking about, uh, it started off as ad tech and now it's now ad tech is just climate tech, you know, how those things have informed her life. And there's another one. There's a gentleman named uh, Abhishek Gupta who runs a, a group called the Montreal AI Ethics Institute. They put out a newsletter it's, it's very well thought of, and he's doing that research work every day. But like you said, it's also a public service, what they're putting out. And they've got an operation like yours where they've got some events and they've got some partnerships and things like that. But. It fills a hole, right? It provides a service to the in- industry, but it also benefits you as as well.
2: I was just going to add on that yeah. on that point. I mean, yeah, there's there's definitely a ton of venture investors, a ton of um, you know consultants, other kind of business people in these different spaces that have outside content and newsletter on a uh, inbound marketing is what Sophie just messaged. But yeah, there's a bunch of people that do this. I think you know we didn't go into. We, I don't think Sophie and I went into starting Climate Tech VC, thinking that this would be inbound marketing for day jobs, particularly because both of us were not investors when we started Climate Tech VC. So maybe it was a funny coincidence. Maybe it was a fate meant to happen. But I think, like she said, it's inextricably linked where if we're interested in digging into a sector, we have the newsletter as a channel to do that. One Mm -hmm. good example of this is, you know, we wrote a feature on concrete and cement because uh, two of the winners of the Carbon X Prize competition were concrete players, Carbon Cure and Carbon Built, and through that, you know, we spoke with the founders of both companies, learned to got to speak with um, this guy Eric at Breakthrough, who's an expert on concrete, and so it's just given us, I think, a lot of intangible value add. To the people that we've been able to meet and talk to, the founders and companies that we've gotten through the network, and just it's also in a way, forced us to like, on top of being an investor in the space, but covering it, we've had to stay really on top of the market in terms of what are the deals that are going on right now? How do we think about the amount of funding that's pouring in, all the new funds that are raising? Like we are literally tracking that data every single day, week to week. And so in terms of like being a venture investor and knowing what's going on in the market, we are doing that through the lens of the newsletter on a weekly basis in a Mm -hmm. structured format. So yeah, I think, Climate Tech VC is like, it's very personal to Sophie and I because it's literally like so much of our thoughts, so much of our, you know, how we think about Climate Tech is, is all through the lens of the newsletter. And, and that also shows, I think, in our, in our
1: investing lives as well. And I'll say a watch out, which is the day that this becomes a marketing tool for either Kim or I or anybody or a single fund is the day that Climate Tech BC starts to die. Sure. <laughs> this only works because it's uh, a learning tool and it's not supposed to be you know puff piecing or overly promotional of any personal what's the word uh there's not supposed to be any individual like personal benefit to it we sense check and you know have like church and state like between the two of us and between the team and shoot down each other's ideas and boost other other ideas all the time and We allow our readers to influence that and would never publish something if it wasn't for the good of the reader. So that's one way that this is, it will be interesting to watch how, for example, definitely not picking a fight here. Don't get at me, but like Andreessen, for example, right? Like they run a giant, um, exceptionally operationalized Giant media function. This is not that. Like it's right. not for our individual funds. It's for our thesis development. Essentially.
0: Sure. I mean, look what they did with Clubhouse, right? I mean, they literally built a media ecosystem around that to launch it. And to, I mean, it's it's uh it's very. I feel like the word s- self serving is going to take it too far. But like you said, it is intentional in inbound marketing in a lot of ways, where where yours seems to be intentionally provided as. Two things at once that complement each other, a learning tool for yourselves, but also a public service, and that you're learning these things in public and sh- and not just sharing them, but taking the time to think about them and present them in a thoughtful and valuable way to everyone else. Because again, when you really come back to it, this entire thing exists because we have to do these things, right? This isn't, you didn't create a, a, a newsletter, I, I guess we can't really call it a business, we can't call it a nonprofit either, but this newsletter... Project, for lack of a better word, because you, you're really into social apps or, or chatbots, right? This is something we we have to do. And it is this enormous opportunity, of course. And a lot of folks are going to make a lot of money off of this transition. But at the same time, you are doing it as this, like you said, public service. And if it doesn't affect the quality and it doesn't affect the consistency in a positive way, then it doesn't belong. And even that sometimes means addressing your church and state issues.
2: Exactly. And I, I think the way that we, we're framing it is, you know, at this point we got, we've gone past a newsletter. We also have a bunch of uh, resources on our website for founders. Yeah. We have a bunch of databases of climate tech, the most active climate tech investors in this space, the most active climate corporate venture firms in this space. Mm -hmm. We just added one on accelerators and incubators, specifically targeting climate tech companies for earlier stage founders or wannabe founders. And so we've actually transitioned from thinking about climate tech VC as just a newsletter to almost like we call it the leading source on climate innovation. So not just a newsletter, but really a resource in the format of a newsletter, these databases and a couple, the job board and some other kind of other projects too that we're working on within that. And so platform, resource, whatever you want to call it, but essentially the mission is always to help accelerate climate solutions.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a again we can we can throw around marketing terms all day, right? Toolkit, resource, platform, like it's all those things, and you can say like the newsletter is the top of the funnel, whatever. But it has become this comprehensive thing, right? And in such a thoughtful, intentional way. So I, I don't want to keep you guys forever. And clearly, it's like four in the morning where Sophie is. The bunny's probably sound asleep. I want to talk about specifically these action steps uh, that that folks can take because again, we have listeners across. Uh, uh, policy and academia and journalism and investing and founding and and scientific labs from clean energy to public health and digital health and biotech and all that stuff. How would you advise other current investors or current journalists who are making a lot of lateral leap these days or media types or folks that don't do either yet? Maybe they're a student or they're someone that's in corporate VC or whatever it might be and want to make a leap to get into something like this that I've seen one of these, because as you guys know, I mean, we can talk about climate agriculture. That's actually a tree of like 75 different things, right? When we're talking about fertilizers or water or soil, I mean, we can get into it all day. There's a lot of spaces to fill. Are there any guidelines or things that you have learned in these two years that have felt like a hundred years to all of us uh, that you would provide to folks? And then I guess, secondarily. To get more specific, are there any particular articles or tools you've built and you're proud of at CTVC, and I've probably got 10 of them bookmarked, that would be universally helpful to folks out there, either as specifically something to use or as a tool to say this is the sort of thing that might apply to your vertical as well?
1: Yeah, this hinges a little bit on like using your career and your time to have impact. Asterix, uh, asterix, there are tons of other ways that you can have an impact on climate through your, your voting and your purchasing and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but if you're going to use your time for influence, then we're seeing an, two distinct, and Kim, correct me if this is a thesis in the works that Kim has not signed off on. So please critique me live here, but I <laughs> see, I suppose. <laughs> I see. Climate Tech DC doesn't yet see, but um, two distinct groups of uh, talent entering the climate tech space. One climate-first individuals who tend to be millennial or younger, mostly Gen Z, actually that have quote always been thinking about climate change. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe they didn't want to, but they've been like forced to from, you know, uh, uh, just their generation. But regardless of their functional area or kind of seniority, they want to work on a climate problem. And that comes first. The second group are expert-level um, folks in specific functions, whether that's marketing or sales or technology, et cetera, that are now realizing they want to pivot to work on climate. It's super fascinating watching those different groups approach this problem because they're coming at it from different ways. For the functional people, things like our our jobs board or climate basis, aggregation of a bunch of different jobs, or Uh, another shout out to mcj and a big shout out to work on climate for example i'm sure i'm missing 10 other platforms um just get on there and socialize around and get a sense of what jobs and what companies jump out to you but know that there's absolutely no right answer like there's no one perfect place to work on climate um so get that out of your head now like you're never going to find the most impactful place with the perfect opportunity at the perfect time like it doesn't doesn't exist So figure out what you're optimizing for um and i would nudge folks to um uh lean in on your functional area of expertise as you're transitioning into having a greater kind of climate impact position um and probably think hard about the stage of business that you want to work in because um um you know at the end of the day when it's friday at you know 9 p.m and you're you have to send that email out and it's like a total grind then um, it's most important that you're in the right structure with the right people around the table in the right, like, right run organization. And I think, like, the climate impact piece comes second. Um, and so, luckily, there's tons of excellently run organizations to find that. But um, don't be too idealistic, I guess, of, uh, you know, if this is a waste recycling business, that um, it's going to be the best job for you. Like, still approach this as a proper. Job search, um, sure. uh, and understand what you're trying to optimize for from from a like having an impact perspective, or go the approach of um, having multiple careers right at once. Of um, uh, there's a ton of ways that you can work on climate on the side or in addition, and start to shift your time resources like over um,
2: uh, over a longer duration of time. I love yeah.
1: that.
2: I, I do agree with what you said I, I've never thought about it that way but I, I like that and I think I think that's right and it's almost like you know some people have not yelled at us but some people have been like you know climate tech isn't you can't call climate tech like a vertical right because climate tech is everything it's food it's energy it's water Uh you know, you can say cybersecurity is a vertical, but it's hard to say climate tech is a vertical because it's literally everything. And so people say like climate first or, you know, I'm working in climate tech, but you could be working at a battery company or you could be working in an alternative protein company and it's still climate tech and you're doing completely different things. Um, So I just, all that is to say like, uh, you know, every company at this point, hopefully is starting to be more climate oriented, be more climate first, or at least like, think about it from, as a priority versus something in the background or some, you know, marketing ploy to kind of check the box. And there's more opportunities out there. You can literally have any type of role. You can be, you know, on the finance side, you can be on the engineering side, you could be on the design side and still work in climate tech. So there's opportunities for everyone. In terms of resources that we put out that I think could be really helpful, if you're looking to just kind of understand the market and like so far at least on the innovation side like the data we put together this half-year report Um, you can just check our website but it's something like 16 billion half-year report uh, mid-year report so a lot of really interesting data charts on the amount of funding that have gone into startups what buckets of climate tech have been the most active trends over time that sort of thing another really helpful resource that a lot of our readers have um, given us positive feedback on is our running list of climate tech vcs so we have on our uh website a list called under capital stacks there's a drop down of climate vcs and these are the most who we think are some of the most active venture investors deploying capital into this space it's not only for those that are trying to work at vcs because You know, speaking from someone in VC, there's only so many jobs there. But if you actually look at their portfolio, all of the companies within all of their portfolios, there's so many cool and exciting companies. And you can kind of sort it by, you know, oh, they do, this is an energy VC. You look at their portfolio, it's obviously going to be mostly energy companies. But depending on what area you want to go and work for, that's another really cool sourcing or company sourcing strategy is to just look at these uh, VCs' portfolios. So, yeah, those are some of the... And then obviously, I keep talking about the feature we put out last week, but for founders, I think the climate capital stack is an awesome resource to think outside of the box on different ways to finance your company besides just the kind of, uh, you know, very traditional path of taking venture equity, which as a VC investor, you definitely should take venture equity at some point, but you think you need to be better... Founders can and should be better informed on when and why... Um, you should take venture equity at what point in the life cycle of your company doesn't make sense. So that's one we were really excited about. Look out for more kind of like resources and guides that Sophie and I will be putting out, especially targeted towards founders. Um, like I said, non-dilutive sources of funding, I think is a really cool avenue. Other guides too on how to work on climate, how to get into climate, that sort of thing. Sophie, I don't know what, we might cut this out, but one, one other thing Thing, if you're interested in working in climate, is uh, we're actually looking to hire a chief of staff, and we're about to publish that role on Monday, which I think this podcast will go after that. So I think it should be fine to say, but would love and invite you know everyone and anyone to kind of uh, apply for that role. Obviously, to your sustainability question, we want to bring on someone who's um, super talented, really motivated, climate first, and just as excited to build this thing with Sophie and I and the rest of the team. Um, and, and bring someone uh, as a chief of staff on to, to help with that. So a little bit of a shout out at the end of the uh, podcast.
0: Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. Uh, it's I, I fully get that. And um, I've thought about the same way. I've dicked around with a job description for someone where I was just like, what is the word for you do All the things that are keeping me from doing what? How do I frame that? Like, how long can I actually make this list? Because it is essential, and because you guys need to be able to do the thinking, you know, for a lot of these things. Um, and it helps to have someone who's awesome and excited to do that now that you've spent two years defining so much of it, at least the fundamentals of it.
1: I'd put it, I'd put it as. Come do the fun stuff. We'll keep the business going. Like you help grow it.
0: For sure. Yeah.
1: We've got assets. Come help us figure out how to turn that into something of even greater value. Because we're at capacity, and so come in and and help build a bigger and better machine. It's really cool. Really cool opportunity because you get to inherit something that already works.
0: Yeah. No. And and, but that takes both the hard work and the time uh, and the. Uh, the data to show that it is working, but it also takes a self awareness to look around and go. Even though there's two of us and there's sort of this volunteer staff behind us, it's like you said, we're at capacity. <laughs> you know, let's let's be honest about where we are, but also where we want to go. You know, um, and that makes a difference. Well, definitely. If uh, when yeah, I think we'll be maybe a week behind the listing. So shoot me that. Hey everyone, it's Quinn. Have you ever looked around your job and thought, what are we even doing here? If you've ever wanted to take your skills to more impactful work, to do world-changing work, let me tell you, now's the time. With just one click, you can find a job that does that work at importantjobs.com. Important jobs is for journalists, students, engineers, software developers, accountants, designers, nurses, research assistants, people who want to work in clean energy, consumer products, health tech, agriculture, and artificial intelligence. And if you work for a company or organization already doing that work, you can list your open roles at important jobs for competitive rates and get them in front of our entire community. Reinvigorate your career on the front lines of the future at importantjobs.com. Back to the show. Okay, last couple of qu- uh, quick questions we ask everybody and then we're going to get you out of here. When was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? And that could be solo. It could be part of your sixth grade class or a gymnastics team or wh- whatever it might be. Uh, when was that moment when you're be like, oh shit, look what I can do?
2: Yeah, I-, I can kick off with this. It just popped into my head. I feel like throughout my life, I've had these weird, I've never actually started a company, so I wouldn't call myself an official founder, but I've had a lot of these weird, like, oh, I want to, I, I see a gap here and I want to start something. So whether, obviously, Climate Tech BC is a really good example of that. Did that a bunch in university as well. It's actually how I met Carrie was, I was thinking, I was starting a e- ESG-focused fund, which Sophie, coincidentally, actually started at Brown. So that's a story for another time, maybe. But I've always had these mm-hmm. kind of experiences where, I just like see something that isn't being done and I want to start it. And I think the first experience I can remember doing that was in high school. I started our environmental club, which at the time felt like a really big deal, <laughs> starting a club in high school because um, we didn't have one. We had like a, I think we had like a farm, farming club or something, mm-hmm. like a school farm, but we didn't have one specifically focused on the environment. And that was around the time when, you know, Obama was president. and He was kind of shouting, from the top about climate change. And I was like, why isn't anyone doing this? So my friend and I started the club. um, We got an advisor. We ran a bunch of like pizza sales or bake sales or something and raised enough money to get (laughs) uh, a compost for our cafeteria. And so now now the high school cafeteria has a compost machine. Um, So that felt like a really big achievement.
0: That's awesome. I love that. It is those little things we go, look, we got a compost machine now.
2: Look at that can feed the pizza from the pizza sale into it now that's awesome maybe to the chagrin of my parents I
1: think I've always had that sense of uh you know if not you who kind of thing and have mm-hmm. spent that that like in full force so I don't know that runs deep for me I'm also you can't tell so much anymore and probably can't tell like over this headset but I'm British and uh I moved to the U.S. when I was pretty young when I was about five. And that shaped everything for me, right? Like we uh, are true immigrants and very much kind of Puritan DIY ethic of if you don't build it with your hands, it's not 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 real. And maybe that got taken a little far sometimes of installing our own HVAC system, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I grew up running a business with my parents and you better believe that I was you know, hiring, firing and running the giant ticker packer and shipper team for a huge e-commerce distribution operation when I was 13. Right. So you kind of like get early promoted into adulthood a little bit there. And, um, that lesson, uh, you can't unlearn that lesson ever. So that works well now that Kim and I have kind of like earned the right to do this and no one questions who we are. But, uh, when I was a Analyst at Bain, for example, in management consulting, like that ethic didn't necessarily fit so well when you're supposed to be, uh, you're hired to be a, a very specific thing. So mm-hmm. I'd say maybe we can, maybe I, maybe we can take that a little too far sometimes, but it behooves us in this super entrepreneurial, open-ended, there's no right answers kind of, uh, experience with, with climate tech, you see, and I wouldn't have it any other way.
0: I love that. I love that. Uh, two two very different stories, but um, they matter and they got you here. Who is, and I'm going to put a stipulation on this: you cannot say each other. Who is someone in your life that's positively impacted your work in the past six months? This is just like a pay it forward type of thing. Oh, <laughs> uh,
1: uh, so many. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. everybody that we chat with from the newsletter is an obvious one, um, and then I'm taking a giant. Courageous or maybe crazy leap, and I'm starting a fund, right, which is quite audacious. And I definitely feel unique in uh, often being the youngest and almost always being the only woman, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there have been so many folks that have supported me on this emerging manager journey, too many to name, but uh, I don't know top of mind in particular. You know, I mean, like Tommy Leap, for example, who should be a, is a good climate friend of basically everyone in climate tech, was there for me before I even knew the words emerging manager, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and helped me set up my very first SPV, which is crazy. And through to today, I spent a lot of time with Scott Jacobs at Generate Capital, who is particularly good at taking talent under his wing and kind of like, you know, setting you free. Maybe that's a little, a little too fruity. Scott will probably blush, but every, you know, look, this space is so collaborative. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, collaborative, collaborative funds. Like sure. Craig Shapiro has been a giant, giant promoter and given me the rope in the first place to run with venture investing. Like huge shout out to Craig. But the, but the point is the space is incredibly collaborative. I think it will start to have slightly sharper elbows moving forward and that's okay that means maturity in the space but I do hope that we keep holding true this sense of like pay it forward and do it for the ecosystem even while you can still be you know cutthroat in getting your allocation or whatever recognize that this is ultimately like for impact and let's not bicker over who's having the most impact like let's Let's keep that to the, uh, you know, concentrated to the term
2: sheet and just remember that we're doing this kind of for the good of, of the world as well. I yes. love it. I, I totally agree with that. Uh, I'd say, I mean, for me, I think early on uh, in, in Climate Tech BC, I actually, one of the, I think it was the second or third interview I did was with Cassie, who I work with at Energy Impact Partners. So it is it is kind of a funny full circle story, but we interviewed her for the second newsletter. I thought Energy Impact Partners was a super, super cool firm, which I'm happy to talk to anyone about at another time. But did the interview, a couple weeks later, I think she reached out or I reached out uh, that they were hiring and obviously ended up working out. So pretty funny story on, on how I ended up at EIP. And I think she had a really big role to play in that, especially because she just sold the energy impact story super well in that interview and got me really excited about it. Another, you know, really important mentor at EIP is, is Shale as well. I've been listening to, I have been listening to his interchange podcast since when I was in uh, college and when I was still like super into, when I was like really into climate change and no one else was really listening. And I thought he did a great job of, again, framing the solution portion of it and the tech portion of it. Um, And it was you know, some part of the inspiration for starting Climate Tech VC as well. So I think two of the colleagues I worked with at EIP definitely have been really important in shaping my career so far on the investing side. Can I jump in real quick, Quinn? Yeah, and say, yeah. You know, this, the framing of this, of like who supported you,
1: I like that a lot. And I'll just say to listeners, I used to think that you had to be like 50 years old and have your shit really figured out before you could mentor anybody else but that's not true whatsoever. Like um, so long as you can synthesize and empathize and put yourself in other people's shoes and help them reflect back, like using yourself as a mirror, you can mentor people that are older than you or more senior than you or more experienced, or of course, you know, the other direction as well. And so um, to me, that's uh, a huge part of my life. And I carve out a ton of time on Fridays for like back to back to back conversations that are super lateral and don't necessarily directly benefit me. But it's crazy how many of those conversations come back now, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 years later of people from high school who are like so glad that we were able to have that conversation that maybe changed the way they thought about something. And now they read the newsletter and now they're working at, you know, um, a climate tech VC fund or whatever. And you can, like, I'm just saying, no way am I unique in that like anybody listening should go do that (laughs) um assuming that they're adding value to the conversation and and like support the community and it will reward you in deep ways that you can you can never predict so thanks to the people that have done that to me to us but but go do it go do it to your neighbors go do it to I don't know your LinkedIn connections go do it to people in in like a college near you you can you can kind of pay that forward
0: yeah, I'm. I'm such a big believer in in mentorship. However, you can provide it or or seek it out, it makes such a difference. Uh, we had a wonderful conversation with a woman. I feel like you both would love this professor at uh, Michigan State uh, named Baronda Montgomery. Wrote a book about you know what plants can teach us, essentially in trees and things like that. And half the conversation was about her philosophies and methodologies behind mentorship. And you're just like, oh, that person's going to impact so many lives so significantly. It makes a Huge difference. Um, All right, last one. What is a book you have read this year uh, that's either opened your mind to a topic you hadn't considered before or has actually changed your thinking in some way? We've got a whole list up on Bookshop that folks love to shop on.
2: I I have one off the top of my mind. Um, Nice. (laughs) I actually read this pretty recently when I got COVID in September and I was like, well, that was a good time to catch up on some reading. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's called, and Sophie, you definitely would know this book too, it's called The Alchemy of Air, which so many people have been recommending. We invested in a company called Nitricity Wait. You read it, Kim? Yeah, I, didn't I read it. know that. Oh
1: yeah. my god. Okay, it's okay, okay. A good, I like, yeah, such I, like, a good we product. should we should we should be uh, like affiliate marketers
2: for this book. I might have got like a hundred people to read this thing. All right, here come a hundred <laughs> more. We can go in on this together. Perfect. But yeah, we invested in this company called Nitricity, which um, short headline is they're working on uh, they're they're producing nitrogen fertilizer with electricity, which mm-hmm. can come from renewables versus the current process, which is The Haber-Bosch process, which is actually what this book, The Alchemy of Air, is about, is about these two scientists, um, Fritz Haber and Carl Bosch, who basically put their minds together and came up with this system on producing synthetic fertilizer. And it's it's just a fascinating story. Like there's something in there for everyone. If it's like history buffs, if it's like your you know um, science fiction, you got the like really cool like mad scientist vibe. Climate, right? Because you're. uh, it's, it's fertilizer. So it's related to ag. It's, it's pretty True. emissions intensive, but, um, that's another kind of consequence of their invention as well. I don't want to ru- I feel like I already ruined a good amount of the book, but I just think it's so fascinating because it talks about the history of synthetic fertilizer, which doesn't sound cool, but it's so interesting to just like almost understand the biographies of these two scientists, how they came together, the amount of innovation and capital that was deployed into creating this. It oftentimes it feels like a climate tech startup in, I think it was like the early 1900s. Like it's almost like the story of a climate tech startup and these two founders in the early 1900s against the backdrop of like Nazi Germany, World War II, and like all these other different things. So it's, it's really, it's really cool. And I think pretty relevant to climate tech.
0: Awesome. I love it. I love it. Uh, Sophie, you got one?
2: I got one. Reboot by
1: Jerry Colonna. I hope I said his last name right. Mm-hmm. I think subtitles, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up. So very much falls in that kind of like, I guess, pseudo self-help, like psychology, kind of businessy type of book that I'm a giant sucker for. But um, this one was sent to me by a friend who had just exited a business that he started. And I read it. I cried. I highlighted sections of it. I read it again. It's all about like radical self-inquiry, I suppose, Mm and recognizing that you can only really get or if you sort through your own emotional baggage, but it's less frou-frou than that sounds and more like highly practical. Jerry is a giant coach of like top CEOs. So it doesn't Mm -hmm. name folks by name, but it's pretty, you can kind of like figure out like that these people that he's giving lessons from are real deal folks like in uh, strong leadership roles and would highly recommend. And I'll probably listen to it for a third time this year. Awesome,
0: (laughs) I love it. Uh great. We will throw those both on there and I'll throw them on my on my personal list as well. I feel like I listened to an interview with that guy, maybe Tim Ferriss, something like that. Yeah, that sounds great. Sophie, Kim, I cannot thank you both enough for your time for everything you're doing. You truly do provide a, a preposterous amount of value to to uh people who are trying to do the right thing, who are trying to make a dent in this thing, who are trying to reinvent some, like you said, ancient. Industries is, that goes as far back as, as ag, you know, revolutions in themselves. So I, I, I really appreciate it. I love taking part in it, and uh, excited to have you guys on and, and share this with everybody. So thank you.
2: Thank you for having us. This is so much fun. Yeah, really, really
0: enjoyed this conversation. Awesome.: Thanks to our incredible guest today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at ImportantNotImportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at ImportantNotImp. (sighs) just so weird.